Amen. How great thou art. It is nothing like a, a good old hymn. You know, even Jesus, you know, when Jesus did the Last Supper, took the Last Supper with his disciples, the scriptures tell us that, that after he sang a hymn, that he went to the Mount of Olives. And when you consider the fact that even Jesus, our Lord and Savior, our Redeemer, um, humbled himself enough to sing hymns, um, the church shouldn't be above that. I love contemporary music. I love some, some neo-soul. But there's nothing like a, a just a good hymn. I'm grateful for the Lord. Amen. It's good to be here. Good to be with you, Epiphany Church. You guys all right this morning? Yeah. I, all right. I agree with Gabe. Y'all a little quiet this morning. Let's, let's just try it one more time. Y'all all right this morning? Yeah. Good, good, good. There we go. There we go. Listen, we are coming off of a, a very celebratory week. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe you guys are a little bit tired. Um, but let me publicly express my, my gratitude for a few people, uh, not just a few people, but anybody that has um, put their hands to the plow last week. If you picked up a chair, if you picked up confetti, if you swept, uh, if you served anyone, whatever you did, um, we are grateful for you and you know, grateful that you're a part and that you would bring your, your service here to the church. So thank you for that. But I, I missed an opportunity last week to, um, to really say thank you to two people that are very special to me. And they reminded me that I forgot to say thank you to them. <laughs> and that is my boys. Can we uh, just show some love for my boys, Brandon and Jeremy? One's up there in the, in the media booth and one is down here. And, you know, it's amazing when it comes to, to church planting, they could just sit and do nothing. But they, they really do serve. They on the, the media team. They're on the communion team. They're on setup and breakdown. Uh, they are working in the children's ministry. And so I'm grateful for uh, boys that really want to serve the local church at a young age. I'm grateful for that. So we want to just encourage them. Listen, I'm eager to preach. So if you guys could grab your Bibles and meet me in First Peter. I'm excited to get back in the word. As you're turning there, let me endorse some things that are going on this afternoon. Um, really just reaffirm what was already said during the announcements. Uh, but one of them is the worship team info session. Uh, if you have any type of giftings, we really do want you to stay after for a little bit and ask questions and talk with Chris and Tashina as uh, they lead our worship team. Can we thank God for our worship team and every week? Man, every week and sometimes midweek, they sacrifice themselves, not just sometimes, but every week they have rehearsal. But sometimes during our fourth Wednesday night Bible studies, they also uh, come in and serve us. And we're just grateful for them. They're always there. They're always like we never have a moment where we don't have a worship team. They're always here. And I'm just grateful for them. So if you have any giftings, they are looking to build the team. They need more help. And so this is me telling you they need help. And so if you guys have any giftings, any singing or playing or whatever, please come to the info session to find out a little bit more about how you can get plugged in there. And then also the 15-minute the um, Discover Epiphany. If you guys have questions, I see familiar faces, but I see some that I don't know. And so if you have questions about our church, if you want to hear a little bit about our core convictions and uh, some things that really drive our church, please stay after it will only be about 10 or 15 minutes. I'll spend two to three minutes talking, and then I just want to hear from you, whatever questions you have. If maybe it's that one question that you've been thinking about coming here over and over again. Come and ask that one question, like nothing's off the table. So, um, so yeah, come and hang out with us. All right, First Peter, you should be there by now. We have been going through a series on the book of First Peter. Uh, this is actually our third book that we are going through as a church uh, we first started during um, 2015, we were doing Bible studies, and the first book that we went through was the book of Colossians. And we went through all of Colossians, and then we went through the book of Jonah, went through all of Jonah, and so now we're going through the book of Peter. And so let me just define quickly, I see some people that I don't know, let me define quickly what it means when I say we're going through the entire book. I literally mean that we are going through all five chapters of First Peter, and we're trying not to leave a stone unturned. We are literally trying to do every single verse. And there's a few things that happen when you go through an entire book. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. I love topical um, sermons or topical series, but there is something about just being in a book of the Bible that allows me not the opportunity to be able to preach what I want to preach, but I have to preach what exactly what's 
in front of me. And somehow the Holy Spirit uses it every single week to, uh, to weave really into the fabric of our life. You know, Paul says at the end of Acts chapter 20, uh, he says he's standing before the Ephesian elders and he's at the end of his ministry. And as he's standing with the elders, he says, I did not shrink away from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. And so there's something very, very important about going through all of what the word of God has to say. And when we get into books of the Bible, it just it, I say it all the time, but it doesn't give me editorial rights to pick and choose what I want to preach. Like this week, I couldn't say, well, we did 12 verse 12 two weeks ago. So we're going to skip to verse 20 this week. No, then you would be like, what's up? You is there a hole in your Bible? What happened to the rest of the verses? Uh, and so I am excited to always be able to uh, get into a book of the Bible. We really feel most comfortable there. And so if you're if you just started coming, this is a good time because we're still in the first chapter uh, and there's a lot more to go. And we've actually been going very, very slowly through the book. I'm talking two or three verses at a time. Um, but today we are in verses 13 to 16. Let me do this. Let me read. Let me announce the theme. It's really a one word theme. And then I'll pray and then we'll we'll dive into what the word has to say. Verse 13, therefore, prepare your minds for action and be sober minded. Set your hope fully on the circle this word, the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Circle these four words, this phrase, since it is written. That's going to become very important. You shall be holy. For I am holy. Literally want to preach today from a one word topic, and that is holiness. Someone look at your neighbor at the expense of sounding like a charismatic preacher. Look at your neighbor and say holiness. holiness. That, that neighbor just was not feeling you. Look at the other neighbor. Somebody know where I'm going. Look at the other neighbor and go ahead and just say holiness. holiness. Let, us, uh, let us pray this morning. Father, this morning we, uh, we comically come to you, Lord, just grateful for your word. Um, Lord, the, the, the truth is that we tend to pursue so many other things in life. We pursue degrees and jobs and aspirations and goals and um, hashtag goals. We pursue all of these things, but yet we neglect to pursue holiness. And this morning, Father, we pray that the word of God would get at us. As a church that preaches grace, pray that we wouldn't walk out of here and, and let grace be a license to do whatever we want to do. But Lord, I pray that the word of God would get at us today. And, and may we be people that hear the word and then diligently seek for areas in our life that need to be submitted to you. The truth of the matter is everybody in here has that one area that is We've been operating and has been really functional dysfunction. Father, would you get at us today with your word? Convict us. Let this not be a sermon we run out and say amen, but let us walk out and say ouch. Pray that somebody would be offended today through your word. It's in Christ's name that we come before you. Amen. amen. Holiness. In 1766 on Chestnut Street in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, uh, the Declaration of Independence was signed. And in the Declaration of Independence, it You'll find these words. It says this. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that are among these. Listen to these three that are among these are life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. These may be our unalienable rights, but the truth of the matter is there is something that the Lord wants us to pursue. And I can promise you it's not simply happiness. God wants us to pursue holiness. Let me highlight one very key word that I said, and that is pursue. The reason I have to say pursue holiness, because here's the truth of the matter. Holiness based on your actions is unattainable just based on actions alone. It's unattainable. But that doesn't mean that we should not pursue it. And holiness really is a response to the work of Jesus Christ. And that is how we must view holiness. Holiness, I, I really want to define it in really two ways. And the reason I think it's important for us to define it is because the word holiness has baggage to it. I don't know what type of upbringing you've come from. I don't know what type of church you used to be a part of, or if you, even if you used to be a part of a church, maybe you didn't. And the word still has baggage for you. Here's the truth. Some people hear baggage 
and think long skirts, let me not watch PG-13 movies, let me not cuss, let me not drink, let me not smoke, and please don't do the wobble at a wedding. <laughs> I mean, that's just not holy at all. There's nothing holy about the wobble. I'm just telling y'all me right now, you know, my sinful side, if I hear the wobble, there's something, my toes start to move a little bit. I feel something, you know, moving up, moving up in me. But the truth of the matter is, man, when we hear holiness, some of us have baggage when it comes to that. But the reality is I want to redefine for some of you and define for some of you what holiness is. Now, before we dive into the text, there's two types of holiness that the scriptures often refer to when it talks about holiness or sanctification, if you will. One of them is positional holiness or positional sanctification. Positional sanctification happens the moment that you have trusted in Jesus. If you trusted in Jesus, the moment you trusted in Jesus, God deems you as holy. When God sees you, like you haven't, you haven't thrown out the weed yet. You haven't broken off that sinful relationship yet. Like none of that has taken place. But the moment you've trusted in Jesus, he looks at you and sees holy and spotless, purely based on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Let me put some Bible there. Colossians chapter one, verse 22 says he has now reconciled us in his body of flesh by his death. Look at this. In order to present you as holy and as blameless and as above reproach. That means that the moment you trust in Jesus, he presents you as holy. That's holiness, but that's positional holiness. But we have to agree that there is a disconnect between being positionally holy and being practically holy. The truth of the matter is positionally God sees us and sees holiness, but practically, can we be honest in here? We're family. We're still a hot mess. Like positionally, he looks down and says, man, he's spotless. But if you think about the word spotless and think about your life, I think we can come to the conclusion that we are not spotless, but it's called positional holiness. Now, there's another sense of holiness that I want to bring up before we dive into the text, and that is progressive holiness. So there's positional holiness that God sees me and I'm deemed righteous. Then there's progressive holiness, which is me being conformed to the image of Christ. And that never gets complete until he comes back for us. So only time progressively you are completely holy. The rest of your life here on earth, you are progressing to look more like Jesus. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 and 2, he says, Now I remind you, remind you brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you. And then he says this, three things, in which you received, in which you stand, and then he says, in which you are being saved. Progressive holiness. That doesn't mean that you're not saved. That means you're striving to look more like Jesus. Now, to keep in context where we are in this letter of Peter, Peter has spent the last 12 verses, we're in 13 to 16 today, but Peter has spent the last 12 verses really defining to these readers that they should rejoice in their trials. And he's really focused in on the last 12 verses about their salvation in Jesus Christ. That's what he's focused in on. And if you don't understand the first 12, the preceding verses, the first 12 verses, you will not understand what holiness is. You will not understand verses 13 to 16 if verses 1 to 12 aren't understood. And if you weren't here, don't worry. I'm going to walk us a little bit through it. Now, let me read verse 13 again and warn you before I even read it. I'm going to read the whole thing of verse 13, the whole uh, verse, but I promise you I'm going to have to go back and get stuck at the first word because the first word is going to beg for our attention this morning. Look at verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let me lift up the first word, therefore. Now, I told you guys over and over again, Bible method, Bible reading, understanding the scriptures, Bible 101. If you ever see a therefore in the scriptures, you must automatically ask, what is the therefore, therefore? Every time. You must, because there's a reason why Peter puts therefore here. He puts it here because he's now it's like a bridge. He's connecting the gap between verses 1 to 12 and verses 13 to 16. What do we see in verses 1 to 12? If we're going to understand, therefore, we have to understand verses 1 to 12. 
what we see is Peter securing these readers in their salvation. Can I prove to you that he's securing them in their salvation in verses 1 through 12? I'm literally just going to do the electric slide right from verses 1 all the way to verses 12, and then we'll dig into our text this morning. Verse number 2 says this, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience in Jesus Christ, listen to this, for the sprinkling of blood, is that not salvation? Okay, let me keep going. That may have not got you. In that same verse, verse number two, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Hear me, Epiphany. You do not say grace and peace to a non-believer. You only say grace and peace to a believer. Why? Because there is no grace for salvation and there is no peace for the wrath of God outside of Jesus Christ. And so saying may grace and peace be multiplied to you, he's securing them in their salvation. Let me keep going. Verse number three, he has caused us to be born again, being born again is salvation. Verse number five, who by God's power are being guarded through faith. This is explicit for a salvation. Verse number nine, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. And then he expounds. Verse number 10, concerning this salvation. Verse number 11, the sufferings of Christ. Christ only suffered for our salvation. Verse number 12, finally, he ends verse number 12 by saying, talking about those who preach the good news. Well, what is the good news? That Christ came to die for sinners, salvation. So what you see in verses 1 to 12 is salvation after salvation after salvation. Can I tell you why that's important that he started that way? If he started with verses 13 to 16, it would breed legalism. But he doesn't. He starts with their salvation. And what he does is note the progression in the text. He goes from salvation to holy living. He does not go from holy living to salvation. And the reason he does that is because salvation after salvation, the appropriate response is holy living. But the appropriate response to holy living isn't always salvation. Like, please don't, I don't want you to, I want to save you from what I was in all my life. All my life, I said, man, if I could just be holy, if I could just live holy, if I could just follow the rules, then I'll be saved. But Peter said, no, you're saved in verses 1 to 12. Verses 13 to 16, now I'm calling you to act like you're saved. And this is very important for us this morning. You are not saved because you follow the rules. You follow the rules because you're saved. There's a big difference in that. And then don't believe Do not believe the preacher that tells you that you have to work and work and work in order to be saved. No, Jesus worked and worked and worked so that you can be saved. And now we have to have our appropriate response, which is holiness. Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 15, he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Really, he's he's affirming what Paul is saying. Peter is saying here, if you love me, keep my commandments. Notice he doesn't say because you kept my commandments, I'll love you. No, we keep the commandments based on love for Jesus Christ. So Peter shows us here in our text this morning. Adrian Rogers said it well. He said, holiness is not the way to Christ. Christ is the way to holiness. And to confuse these two is disastrous. I don't want to breathe that in this room. We pursue holy living purely based off of the platform of salvation. And so the word therefore here really connects this reality. It connects the reality of Once we're saved, there is a response that we're supposed to have to our salvation. And that is that response is called holiness or sanctification. There is no real Christian. Hear me that trusts Jesus really genuinely has their affections changed for Jesus and then goes out and lives and does whatever they want to do. No, we exemplify self-control, which we're going to deal with in our text this morning. Let's get back in the text. Verse 13. Therefore. Look at the next three words, preparing your minds. Let's put a comma right there and and really just park there for a minute, because really preparing your minds is an idiom that Peter is using for girding up the loins of your mind. That's what he's talking about. When he says prepare your minds, he's talking about girding up the loins of your mind. Basically, what what used to happen in ancient time when the men had to work or they had to run or they had to go to battle, they would always wear these long robes and they would take their robes and they would roll them up. And what they would do is if they had to move quickly so that they weren't hindered, they would take their robes and they tuck them in their belts. Peter has that in mind as he's saying, prepare your minds. Underneath what he's saying is 
gird up the loins of your mind, basically roll your robe up and tuck it in your belt. Why would we do that? Because Peter is trying to prepare them for battle. That's why he says here, preparing your minds, here it is, for action. Peter knows here that, listen, there is spiritual warfare that's going to take place. But what we do is we want to base our holiness and the spiritual warfare against it purely based on behavioral modification. But listen to me. Peter doesn't start with behavior. Peter starts with your mind. Why does Peter start with your mind? Because before the behavior, before the sinful behavior is actually worked out in an action, it started in your mind. Don't no man wake up next to a chicken and be like, how did, I, how did I get here? No, it started by you texting. It started by you tweeting. It started by you stalking her on Facebook. It starts with a thought in your mind. And our problem is we let unhealthy thoughts linger too long. And so we want to, we just want to attack behavior. No, don't attack behavior yet. Attack your mind. Peter says, prepare your minds for action. And what determines your behavior really is your thoughts. I'm convinced that, that, that many of us in this room would be further along with battling sin if we battled it first in our minds. Like, I, no one, you don't have to express this to anybody. You don't have to tell this to anybody. But consider how many sinful thoughts you had in your mind this week alone. Like stuff that you ain't tell nobody about. Like, think about that. And Peter is saying this morning, listen, go after that. Don't just go after behavior. We would be further along if in our DNA groups, we said, girl, let me tell you what popped in my mind today. But we don't do that. We just only confess behavior. We never confess what we think. Peter says this morning, listen, you need to prepare your mind for action. You need to gird up the loins of your mind. And I've learned that really, honestly, Christianity is often, we can know if Christianity is real or fake based on your thought process. Because you can fool everybody in here based on your behavior. Like, I know how to do it. I know how to come in church and wave my hand at the right time, say the right thing. We know how to confess little sins, but won't let the real unconfessed ones, we'll let that linger. But listen, you can't fool God with your thought process. You can't fool God with your thought process. And we often think that we're only going to be held accountable, especially if we're non-believers. We'll only be held accountable for what we do. Peter's like, no, what you think is just as dangerous. So Peter shows us this morning. I'm convinced that if we would guard our minds like we guard what goes into our bodies, we'd be further along as well. Like, think about, I was at the store yesterday, and we were grocery shopping, and it took me forever, not just me, but Ty as well, it took us forever to get out of the grocery store, not because the lines were long, in fact, they were short yesterday. The reason it took us so long is because everything we picked up, we wanted to read the box. We wanted to read what was in it, and y'all know some of y'all, y'all won't, y'all won't pick it up unless it's non-GMO certified, <laughs> you know, unless it says gluten-free on the top, like, don't even have it on the back, you gotta say it right on the front, we will not, we go, we'll spend top dollar. We'll go to Whole Foods. We'll say, man, I ain't going to the bodega. You know, don't, and don't do that anyway. I mean, them, them cans of food is outdated, I promise you. I promise you. We'll go to Whole Foods, spend top dollar. We'll go to the, to the produce section and spend, we'll only get organic vegetables and only get organic uh, fruits because we guard what goes into our body, but our mind, we won't do the same thing with. Like, we'll, I mean, we'll literally eat non-GMO popcorn and watch a porn at the same time. Like, I don't get it. Like, how in the world, like, and, and I know I'm, I'm sorry, I, you know, I'm, I got to confess and, and apologize later. Listen to me. But y'all have no clue how many young men and young women I sit across from in counseling and I realize we ain't guarding our minds. We're not. But we'll say, listen, I'm not, I'm, I don't eat like that. That's fried. I can't eat that. If we did that with our minds and said, man, listen, I don't let that junk come into my mind. And some of you, let, can I be honest since I'm a little off today? Listen, some of you don't even have business being on Facebook. You don't. You don't have, you, some of you don't even have business having your laptop in the middle of the night. Like you need to put it away. Some, some of you need accountability to where you need that software on your laptop that 
If you go on a bad website, somebody else will get it that night. That's what we need. He says, prepare your minds. I love this. Prepare your minds. Prepare your minds. And Job actually affirms this in Job chapter 38, verse number three. He says, dress for action like a man. Now, ladies, I'm only talking to the men for a section. Listen, even Job says it, dress for action like a man. Prepare your minds. Gird up the loins of your minds. Why? Because there is spiritual warfare. And most of the stuff you go through ain't natural anyway. Like the devil's after you. The devil is after you. And if we, if we only knew and understood how, you know, there's a scripture that says that the devil desires to sift you as men sift wheat. And it always starts right in the mind. Let's keep going because Peter's going to continue to address, particularly the mind. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober minded. He has, he's not letting up on your thoughts. He says, be sober minded. Now, this is a favorite word of Peter's. How do I know that? Because being sober minded is used six times in the New Testament. Peter uses it three of those six times. 50% of the time, the New Testament says being sober minded. Peter is talking about it. In fact, he says it in verse number In chapter 5, verse number 8, let me just read it really quickly. Chapter 5, verse number 8, he says the exact same word. He says, be sober-minded and be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a lion, seeking whom he may devour. And consider this. When he's talking about being sober-minded, the the Greek behind being sober-minded is being alert and being self-controlled. It literally means don't be drunk. Like, Think about what Peter is saying. In your thought process, be alert. In your thought process, be self-controlled. In your thought process, don't be drunk. And then he gets to chapter five and he says, let me tell you why. Because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a lion. If if there was a lion prowling around the streets of Bed-Stuy, and we all looked at the news and the news said, hey, listen, don't go outside today, there's a lion. We, we would not pick that day to go across the street to Mr. Liquor and pick up some summer culotta Ciroc. We wouldn't pick that day to do that and then get drunk and then walk the streets of Bed-Stuy. Why? Because we know that there's a lion prowling around. Peter is saying it's the same thing spiritually. There is a 24-7 lying, spiritual lion prowling around, and the scripture just told us he's seeking whom he may devour. But yet we're playing games with our minds playing games with our thought process, entertaining things that we, we think is not bad because we ain't talking about it, we ain't acting on it. But I promise you, you may think it for now, but at some point, it's actually going to be action. It's going to be behavior. Like, has anybody in this room, like, just talk back for a second. Anybody in this room ever thought something and said, I would never do that, though, and then ended up doing it? Listen, Peter is on point this morning. He says, prepare your mind for action. Then he says, be sober-minded. Naturally, we wouldn't prowl around bedside with a lion. We wouldn't prowl around naturally, but spiritually, we play games. So naturally, we think we're all right, but spiritually, we're still taking shots. Let's knock it off. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm being a little pastoral this morning, but there are too many of you entertaining unhealthy thoughts. Peter says, listen, be spiritually minded. Be sober in your thinking. I, I, I probably shouldn't share this story. But since I'm a little reckless this morning, I'm going to go ahead and share it. I'm going to let you in. When I was, you know, on my college days and my father's here, he's never heard this story. I repent for even telling this story. Sorry. You know, they they sent me to college and, you know, I I went to college to play football and we used to have long practices during the week. And it was one weekend. It was a Friday night. We just finished a heavy practice. And some of the guys on the team was like, yo, there's a keg party down the street. Let's go to the keg party. I, I didn't drink like that. I'd never been to no keg party and so I said, man, I'll, I'll go with y'all. So, you know, I went home, showered, and went to this keg party, and I went with my boys, and, and the guys at the door said, listen, there's one rule for being in this party, and that means your cup can never be empty. So I'm like, okay. And like, in my mind, I'm like, I don't drink, but I'm going to try it. So I go inside, and you know, they give you them red cups. You know, it's something about them red cups. <laughs> I'm just telling you if, you, if somebody gives you a red cup, stay away from it. They handed me a red cup, and at the door, they just filled it all the way up. So I'm, you know, drinking, I'm trying to dance, and the, you know, strobe light is going on. And about, you know, cup four or five, I start feeling a little warm. I start like, man, what's going on? I promise you, 
I do not know how I got home. I, all I remember is waking up at, the, at my dorm room and with a splitting headache. That's all I remember. But what I was doing, like, imagine this spiritually. Most of you, see, y'all judging me. And by the way, some of that, that was y'all last night. Just, <laughs> y'all judge me now. It's okay. That's some of y'all last night, though. We'll pray for you afterwards. But we wouldn't do that spiritually, right? Yeah, we would. That's why Peter says it. Some of you are not alert. Some of you are not spiritual. Like your mind is elsewhere, which is why we spend so much time here trying to be faithful to the scriptures. We spend so much time trying to go through doctrine and theology. We're not doing that to floss. We're doing that to sharpen your mind so that you can walk out of here and be spiritual. So you can be sober in your thinking. Let's continue to go. I told you to circle a word and I want you to circle it for a reason. We need to talk about it. It says, therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be found, that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The reason we need to talk about grace is because when it, beco- when it comes to talking about holiness, often if you leave out grace, what it breeds is either pride or it breeds some type of like feeling of, I can't obey it. So in other words, let me try to, try to make this a little bit more plain. It breeds pride because if there's no grace, we just follow rules. And pride says, listen, I'm killing the rules. I'm obeying them. And the other side of that is, oh man, it's despair. I can't keep them, which is often many of us in this room. I can't keep it. But Peter says, no, 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 no. Grace at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so Peter brings grace into the conversation and grace literally means you are getting, if you've trusted in Jesus, you're getting what you do not deserve. I'm still still chewing on Dr. Tripp's sermon last week. I mean, it it was grace after grace after grace. I mean, everything he said was tweetable, everything. But what he was honing in on was living a life under grace. And Peter shows us that this morning. He says, listen, if you want to live a holy life, please do it on the foundation of grace and not legalism. Please do it on the foundation of the fact that I saved you and I didn't have to do it. I called you mine and I didn't have to do it. How do we know he called us his? Let's keep going. Verse number 14. He says, as obedient children. First of all, do you know how encouraging this is? Now, I didn't talk about it this morning, but in the previous sermons, I was talking about how Peter is writing this letter to a persecuted people. These people are being persecuted under the Roman emperor Nero. Imagine how comforting this is that Peter gets to tell them, listen, you're children of God. And if you're children of God, that means that God is your father. And God, and let me just say that to you. I don't know if you're under any type of persecution in this room. But the fact that you can call God your father is purely amazing. Like God doesn't, he could have saved you and then just let you been disconnected until he brought you on home. No, he calls you his children. But as obedient children, we are supposed to live under obedience. And holy living grows during times of obedience. Like you want to grow in holy living, grow in being obedient. How do we become obedient? By reading this. We grow in obedience to what the word of God has to say. Listen, if I tell my boys... If I say, boys, go clean the dishes, there's nothing, there's nothing in me that expects them to say, okay, and go outside and play basketball. Like, there's not, like if I say clean the dishes and they say, all right, cool, I'm going to go play the game. Like, there's a problem. There's obedience that I expect from them. It's the same thing with God. It's the exact same thing with God. God expects for all of us to be obedient. And what we do is we say, well, God, I memorized scripture, though. We say, God, I learned the Greek and Hebrew. Like if my boys came to me, I said, clean the dishes. And they said, listen, I know what you said. You told me to clean the dishes, but they didn't clean the dishes. They're not obedient. If they said, listen, I gathered friends over and we learned the Greek and Hebrew of what it means to clean the dishes. They still weren't obedient to cleaning the dishes. <laughs> but what does Peter tell us this morning? He calls us to be obedient children. And obedience, hear me, is a major step in holy living. Obedience to the word of God. And all, if all you do in this room is come here every Sunday, take notes, and then leave and don't apply the notes, you're not being obedient children. You just have taken notes. That simple. Like what Jesus calls it, I mean, this is what he does in the, in the parable of the builders. 
Remember the parable of the builders? He, he gives us a distinction between a wise builder and a foolish builder. And he calls the foolish builder a fool purely based on the fact that he heard the word but didn't obey it. That's why he called, we think that we're wise and we're foolish based on how much information we gather. But if your notebook is full of stuff on Sunday mornings, but you don't go out and apply any of it, you're not an obedient. He says, be obedient, children. If you want to be serious about holy living, you got to be obedient. Verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the, you should circle this word too, passions of your former ignorance. This word passion here is a, is a very interesting word. The reason this is an interesting word is because when we think passion, so the word that defines passions really is lust in the original language. So what we'll do is we'll think lust and only think sexual lust. Yes, that's a piece of it, but that's not defining this specific word that Peter uses. This word he uses talks more broadly than just a sexual lust. This talks of all self-seeking desires for wealth, for power, for position, for pleasures. What this is showing us, it brings out the strong emotional tug to sin and temptation. And so what Peter is showing us is he's showing us you can overcome the lust of your flesh. Anything that you lust after. Like think about what the things that are unhealthy that you are, you are going after. And some of those things, since we're not talking about sexual lust, some of those things are disguised to look like they're actually godly things. Like you need to consider some of the stuff that you are passionately going after. Some of you, it's a job. Some of you, it's a relationship. Whatever, whatever it is that you are lusting after and going after, you need to exhibit what is one of the fruits of the spirit, which is self-control. Like, do you realize the moment that you've trusted in Jesus, you were endowed, according to Ephesians 1, you were endowed with the, with the presence of the Holy Spirit. And if you have the Holy Spirit in you, the fruits of the spirit is love, joy, peace, temperance, patience. The last one is self-control. Don't tell me that you cannot submit your passions and your lusts to God when you have the Holy Spirit living in you. Like, consider you have the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost lives in you. And you're telling me I can't stop sinning. I can't break away from this temptation. I can't break away from this relationship. No, you can. You have the Holy Spirit in you. Peter says, listen, the passions of your flesh. And he calls it former ignorance. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. See, we don't, see, we don't like this. Peter, you calling me ignorant? I, I got a PhD. You know, I got a good job. I'm well-educated. You can't call me ignorant. But what Peter is saying is that their pre-conversion, before they were saved, everything about them was ignorant. Like, I don't care if you have a PhD. Do you know that there'll be PhDs in hell? Like, I just wanted, I just wanted to put that out there. And, and the, the opposite is the same. There'll be people in heaven without even a GED. So what does Peter tells us? He tells us this morning, listen, your former life was former ignorance. And you can affirm that. Think about some of the stuff you did before you were saved. Some of you will agree. Listen, as fun as my sinful life was, I agree it was former ignorance. Let's keep going. I'm running out of time here. Verse 14, I'm going to read it right into 15. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Verse 15, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Instead of building on this theme of evil desires, he could have stayed right there and just hammered away at that. Instead of building on this theme of evil desires, Peter now shifts their focus from their former ignorance to the model of who is holy, God himself. He says, just as God is holy, you be holy. He's trying to get us to focus in on the holiness of God. Listen, we can't understand holy living until we've understood the holiness of God. That's what Peter is pushing us to this morning. And I don't have time to deal with how the scriptures affirm the holiness of God, all of them. But there's two that I want to bring up before you. And these two, the worship team actually sang in their song, we see your holiness. In, in the song, they were talking about how the holiness of God was revealed through the laws that he gave to man. Listen, through the law that God gave 
to his people, it reveals how holy he is. And can I tell you why it reveals how holy he is? Because none of us in this room could keep it. What we'll do is we'll play that game, though, right? We'll play that game. Listen, I, I know I can't keep all the laws, but I can keep this one. Now, you know, I've never murdered anybody. Some of you have. You look a little shady in this room. I, <laughs> I saw you when you came in. Uh, but, but what Peter is saying to us this morning is, listen, you, you cannot keep the laws. That's what, that's what the scriptures affirm. And so his holiness is produced and shown purely based on the fact. That's why Jesus is so holy, because Jesus steps on the scene and keeps all the laws. And even the ones that you say, listen, I've never murdered anybody. Jesus takes it away. He says, I know you've heard it that you do not murder. But I tell you, if you have anger in your heart, you've already committed the sin. And then the scriptures go on in the New Testament to say, if you fail at one of the laws, you're accountable for it all. So you don't even get like a, a 80 on the test. You got a zero. And this shows us how holy God is because Christ is the invisible manifestation. He's the visible manifestation of an invisible God. And he kept every law. God is holy. You know, the second place we see the holiness of God and probably a little bit more clear. We see the holiness of God at the cross of Jesus Christ. How God was moved to punish sin shows us how holy he is. I'll take it a step further. The fact that he was willing to crush his own son for sin, like consider that. That is how holy God is. And if you're in this room and you haven't trusted Jesus, the same crushing that we saw on Jesus, the Bible tells us in, in John chapter 3, verse 36, that the wrath remains. Listen, you need to trust Jesus. And at the cross, we get to see the very holiness of God. He crushes his son. And then there's a verse that's tucked away in Isaiah 53 that says, it pleases the father to crush the son because he's so holy. No sin can be in his presence. This is what you call the holiness of God. And so he is the goal. The scripture tells us be holy as God is holy. And that keeps us from trying to size ourselves up with our neighbor. Because that's what we do when it comes to holiness. We'll say, I'm not as bad as my neighbor. I don't smoke. I don't cuss. I don't drink. I don't cheat on my taxes. And so I'm holy. But size yourself up next to God himself. You'll see how high that bar is. And so that's why I said in the beginning, you never attain holiness by behavior. You're always pursuing it. You're always striving to be more holy. God is our model of holiness. So the scripture affirms it. Verse 15. As he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Verse 16, very important first four words. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. It almost sounds redundant from verse 15. But Peter ends this section on holiness by doing something very appropriate. He does not end this section on holiness by talking about some opinion that he has. He ends this section on holiness by bringing in the scriptures as it is written. And so he shows us, he, he really reaches back to Leviticus 11:44. That's what he's quoting here, which by the way, I'm just, I don't even have this in my notes. This is just a, a, a quick thing for you to understand. Peter reaches back to Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44. That means that Peter had to be familiar with his scriptures. So what we do with holy living is we think we can, we can be, we can try to strive towards holiness without actually reading scripture. Listen, don't no Christian go a day without reading the scriptures. Like, how do we go all week and think we're going to battle sin and temptation and haven't gotten the word of God? Peter says, since it is written, he goes back. He says, listen, your holy living should be based on the foundations of the scriptures. Leviticus 11 44 shows us here. Peter says it as well in chapter two. I'm not going to preach it, but he says like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk. That's the word for by it. You may grow up into salvation. Listen, epiphany. If you're going to grow in holy living, if you're going to grow in what the scriptures call sanctification, you have to do it based off the word of God. We don't do it based off tradition. Well, I'm going to do this because somebody, you know, my mother passed this down. No, we do it based off the word of God only. What does the scriptures have to say about what I do? And I told you guys before, you need fighting verses. You need a plethora of scriptures that you can pull out when the enemy comes after you. 
Remember, the scripture tells us in chapter five, listen, the devil prowls around like a lion. And when he comes up to you, don't nobody go into a battle without their sword. Like you'll be crushed. But we got a sword talking about the word of God. And this is what you need a plethora of scripture. You need fighting verses. Some of you aren't winning the battle of temptation because you don't have enough Bible in you. That's what the scriptures is calling us to this morning. And this is what Jesus had to do. Remember when Jesus was tempted in, in Matthew chapter four? Jesus quotes three scriptures back to back to back. And all of them was out of Deuteronomy. It was almost like he was doing, maybe he was doing a, a sermon series through Deuteronomy. He, he quotes three scriptures. Deuteronomy 8.3. This is the enemy coming up to him. He says, Deuteronomy 8.3. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Enemy's still there. He says, okay, Deuteronomy 6.16. It is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to test. The enemy is still there. And he says, Deuteronomy 6.13, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. After he quotes all three scriptures, the Bible tells us in verse number 11 of Matthew 4 that the, de- that the devil flees from him. If Jesus, whom fulfills all of scripture, had to submit himself to scripture when he was tempted, why do we use other means? We need the scriptures. When it comes to fighting temptation, that sin in your life, you need the word of God in order to overcome that sin. You need fighting verses. If you get nothing else from me, write down that I need fighting verses, verses that I memorize, that I meditate on, that I dwell on, that I think on, that's in my spirit, that's in my mind, that at the drop of a hat, I can bring it out. And if you ever did that in the middle of some type of temptation or battle, you thought about a scripture that you didn't even think you memorized. Fighting verses. When that man comes up to you and says, listen, you look good. You need to say, mm-mm, Romans 12, 1. <laughs> Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. And then say, bye, boo. Let them, let them walk on. That's what you need. When, when that dude comes to you and be like, yo, I got this weed, you need to say, uh-uh. Galatians 5, 16. If I walk in the spirit, I won't gratify the desires of the flesh. You need these fighting verses. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Here's here's what I know. Here's what I know. That some of you in this room are losing the battle of temptation because you're not submitting yourself to what real holy living looks like. I told you, man, holiness has baggage. The word itself has baggage. Some of us walked in this room thinking holiness is long skirts and prayer cloths. Some of us walked in this room thinking Listen, I'm holy because I, I haven't seen, you know, that movie that I wasn't supposed to see. I haven't seen Batman. You know, I don't know if y'all know that's PG-13. I haven't seen that. Some of you in here think you're winning the battle when in reality you're losing. And you're losing holy living because you're not building on the foundations of the scriptures. You aren't looking to the model of holiness, which is God himself. You aren't rebuking thoughts in your mind. Some of you, the thoughts that you think are destroying you. I don't care how educated you are. I don't care what degree you have. I don't care what job you have. Some of you are losing because of, you don't even think you're in a battle, but you're in a battle. I want to pray for somebody today that will be honest, that will take off the church face, that will say, listen, I don't know these people, so I don't want to... I don't want to come up front because I don't want people to know I'm dealing with something. Reality is every one of us in this room is dealing with something. I'm going to pray for somebody today that will be honest and say, thank you. Thank you, Peter, for securing me in salvation in verses 1 to 12. But I'm struggling with verses 13 to 16, struggling with holy living today. If you know that you are losing a battle Don't hesitate. Don't care about who's next to you. Come down front. I simply want to pray for you. If you're honest in this room, come down front. Thank you. Thank you for your boldness, brothers. Love to see men come down. Thank you for your boldness. Thank you, sisters. I see you coming down. More of you need to come down. You know you're struggling. Come down. Listen, Pastor B is on this altar today. 
struggling with overcoming temptation and sin. Let me pray. Father, it took boldness for these young men and young women to come down front. But the the very fact that they said, I'm going to get up and even embarrass myself to show everybody that I'm dealing with something is proof that you're working in their life. Because if they felt nothing, they would have just sat even in the midst of knowing that they're struggling. Father, I pray for each and every soul that's on this altar. I pray that they would be sanctified and that they would live holy lives that is pleasing to you. Not because they want to be saved, but for many of them, and maybe all of them, they want to live holy lives because they are saved. Not doing it to earn your love. You've already given us your love on the cross. We're most loved at the cross. But we want to, in this sinful world, with the presence of sin all around us, we want to guard ourselves. We want to gird up the loins of our mind. Father, I pray, oh God, for these men and these women, these women that are battling, spiritually battling sin. Father, help them to overcome. Help them to give them a testimony of how they overcame that. Whatever that is, give them a testimony, oh God. For these men and these women, these women, I, I pray that your spirit would remind them of this moment that they made a declaration that I want to fight. This is them putting on the boxing gloves. And the beauty in this fight, oh God, is that we don't fight alone. But if we've trusted in you, we have the Holy Spirit. And because of the Holy Spirit, we have the ability to win. And so, Father, help them to wrestle well. Help them to confess sin. The word tells us if we confess our sin, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. And then you say, and, and purify us from all right unrighteousness. That's sanctification. That's holiness. I pray for their time and their devotion and their word. Pray that you would give them great conviction to spend time reading what you have to say about their lives. Father, we need you. Outside of you, outside of your word, outside of the cross, we lose every time. But because of your word and because of the cross and because of the Holy Spirit, we have the ability to make progress. So, Father, I pray for holy living. I pray for, I look forward to testimonies. I look forward to these men and these women walking with somebody else that's dealing with exactly what they're dealing with. Give them a ministry of reconciliation. It is in Christ's name, in Christ's name alone, that we come before you. Amen. Can we thank God for these men and women? You may be seated.